Happy Sabbath, Parkwood SDA Church. It's a wonderful blessing to be here today to share the sacred desk of, with uh, Pastor John. I tell you, he is a wonderful man, and when he asked me to come spend some time today, I said, of course I'm coming. And I want to say also that um, CBCA has been an answer prayer to me as well. We were praying about this, and we said, how can we go 3,000 miles to the west, 3,000 miles from Miramar to Modesto? I said, Lord, but that's where we're going to go? Then pave the way, pave the way. And also the staff there has been so warm and welcoming. I tell you, when the truck was moving our belongings, I just made one text to my coworker. I said, hey, the truck is coming on Sunday between this time. If you can help me out to unload, they came full force and hooked up my whole house. I said, my Lord, it's all good. It's over here in Modesto. Praise God for that. And the school, of course, is awesome. I love the kids there. And it's a wonderful thing to be back uh, in the classroom and be able to teach the kids about what God is all about. And so uh, I, as he said, of course, I love a youth ministry. And so um, you'll see as I preach and as I go, I like to have this focus there as well. And um, I have a few uh, 
customs I do when I preach. The reason why we put that small lectern on the ground floor is because uh, whenever I preach, I begin on the top rostrum here, and then I come down on the main floor for one main reason, because I believe that we're all level at the foot of the cross of Jesus, and so I need him the same way you need him. So I'm going to come down after I give my opening prayer, but I'm going to come down and preach on the main floor. And, uh, but as uh, was said, I have a wife and uh, two sons. My wife, Gerda, we've been married for almost nine years. We got married on Valentine's Day 2010. And so uh, we're almost at nine years. And we have two sons, Mythen, who is seven, and MJ, who is three. And so they're growing quickly. I mean, time goes by so quickly. And I want to say thank God for my family because without them, where would I be? And so uh, thank God for that. And of course, Pastor John Tillet for the invitation to come today to spend some time behind the sacred desk. I also have something that I always do when I preach. I have something called sermon appetizers. You know, uh, when you go to a restaurant, uh, before the entree comes, the waiter may ask you, do you want to have appetizers? to get your stomach ready for the main course. And so um, I have that as well. I've been preaching for about maybe 20 years now, and I've realized that sometimes, God forbid, people may forget what I preach, but they won't forget the appetizers. So I brought with me a few appetizers for you today. Hopefully you will enjoy them. The first one says this. When you stop chasing the wrong things, you give the right things a chance to catch you. When you stop chasing after the wrong things, Parkwood, you give the right things a chance to catch you. You know, in Matthew 6, 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. The problem is sometimes we put all these things before seeking God first. When you stop chasing after the wrong things, you give the right things a chance to catch you. That's number one. Number two, second appetizer. I have three for you this morning. Second one says this, Parkwood, it doesn't matter if you can quote the entire Bible if you live like you never opened it. Now, I don't know your business because I'm fairly new here. I'm from Miami area, Miramar area. But it doesn't matter if you can quote the Bible from Genesis to Revelation if you live like you never opened it. The love of God must be shown through our lives. Of course, it's imperative that we read the word of God. Of course, it's imperative. We have to read God's word. But what's the point of reading it if you don't live it? What's the point of a surgeon going through all medical school and having uh, the best GPA, the top of his class or the top of her class, and when he gets, when he gets to the operating room, he or she says, I won't even touch the instruments. What's the point? You're the best in your school. And now you're there with the person on the table and you won't touch the instruments. What a waste. That's what Christ means when he said in Matthew 7, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. 
You talked a good game, but you never did anything with it. Our last one here. This one shocked me, so please bear with me here. Ten of us, I'm sorry, ten percent of us cannot be found after baptism. Twenty percent of us never attend church on a regular basis. Thirty percent of us never read the Bible consistently. Forty percent of us do not return a faithful tithe. Fifty percent of us never show up in Sabbath school. Sixty percent of us never support with a systematic offering. Seventy percent of us never get involved in any ministry. Ninety, Lord have mercy, ninety percent of us has never led a person to Jesus Christ. However, a hundred percent of us are expecting to go to heaven. We can't treat church as a movie theater, meaning we come in and watch the big screen and watch the actors and actresses perform and say, wonderful movie, I'll come back again next week. We have to be involved. And there are so many different ways to be involved, a plethora of ways to be involved, but find some type of way to be involved. Some of us are involved, praise God for that. But some of us are not, and you know who you are. Find some type of way, be a greeter, be an usher, be a deacon, a deaconess, be whatever you can be, Sabbath school teacher. Find some type of way. How are you making an imprint at the church you call home? Those are the sermon appetizers for today. And I hope that these words have not fallen on deaf ears. Think about them throughout the week, throughout your lives. It doesn't matter if you can quote the entire Bible if you live like you never opened it. Stop chasing after the wrong things and then the right things will have a chance to catch you. Be involved in church. Find some type of way. And on that note, I must say this, because when I, my family and I moved, moved up here, you know, there are about maybe, maybe seven churches in this area, about, I guess, and we're going to pick which one we want to be a part of to, like, put our anchor in. And so my wife and I, we're talking to each other. We're like, well, we are already firm in our beliefs in God and we're SDA for life, but we have two young boys. They have to love the church that we pick because they're the ones who have what I call wet cement. 
the cement has not been dried yet. It's not hard. Our cement is hard. I'm grounded in the faith. I'm not going anywhere. But their cement is wet. So we went going to different churches. And then we came to a church called, called Parkwood. Walked in a church called Parkwood. And then we walked in. And we were greeted a way that we loved. And our kids gravitated to the uh, adventurer program. And it's been a match made in heaven. As a matter of fact, before I put this rope on in the, what I call the bat cave back there, uh, I filled out the paper to have our family transferred over here from Miami area. Why? Because you had a special imprint on us especially on our kids. That's the main thing, because our kids have what I call wet cement. And we want that cement, when it gets hard, to be hard in Jesus. And I want to say thank you to those who work with the kids in the kids' Sabbath school. It's awesome. Keep it up. And you're doing an awesome job in the kids' Sabbath school there. Oh, I know that church ends here around 1230-ish, and I'm trying to be short-winded, but it's, it's 11.46, so I have 45 minutes, okay, 45 minutes. So give me a chance. My first time preaching here in this church, so I want to get myself better acquainted. We look in the Bible at a very common story in Jonah, okay, in Jonah, the first chapter. The, a very common story, we call it like when we were little kids, Jonah and the whale, Okay, Jonah and the whale. I want to read to you the first three verses in the book of Jonah chapter 1. Okay, the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1. I'll wait as you look for it in your word as well. Jonah 1, the first three verses. Jonah 1, the first three verses. Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I found it interesting that the city of Tarshish is mentioned three times in verse 3. When I was in the seminary about 10 years ago, uh, taking preaching class, they would tell us if a word is mentioned several times in a verse. It's screaming out to you, preach me, preach me. So in verse 3 of Jonah 1, 3, Tarshish is mentioned three times. So why is it telling me, Marlon, preach me, preach me? I said, okay, I will, I will. So God is telling me, pay attention to this verse. Jonah understands God's will. However, he buys a ticket on a boat and heads in the opposite direction of Nineveh towards Tarshish. He was supposed to go about 500 miles to the east. 
Instead, he ended up going about 2,000 miles to the west from Joppa. That means, Parkwood, that he ended up traveling about 2,500 miles to the wrong way just because of his disobedience. So with that, I want us to pause as we think about this message entitled, Headed to Tarshish. Let us bow our heads for a moment of prayer in song. Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. May the things, O oh Lord, that I choose to And Parkwood said together, amen. I'm going to now come down to the main floor, as I said earlier. We all need Christ the same way, coming down the foot of the cross. I have this for later, a special thing to share with everyone, so you won't forget this sermon. Hopefully you won't forget this sermon. But you see here, 2,500 miles he had to travel just because of his disobedience. It only was supposed to be 500 miles. But because of his disobedience, he had to go 2,500 miles. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a city with over 600,000 people to warn their pagan leaders of divine judgment. He thought of the difficult and the impossibilities of God's directives. He was tempted to question the wisdom of God's call. From a humanistic standpoint, it seemed as if nothing could be gained by proclaiming such a message in that proud city. He forgot for a moment that the God whom he served was an all-wise and all-powerful God. During his hesitation and doubt, Satan overwhelmed him with discouragement. As a result, he rose up and head to Tarshish. Tarshish represents your own will, signifying that you're in control of your life as opposed to letting God direct your steps. Tarshish represents your own will, signifying that you're in control and of your life as opposed to letting God direct your steps. Point number one, do not lose your identity in Christ. Due to Jonah's disobedience, God sent a severe storm in the sea more severe than usual, 
which caused even the pagan sailors to pray. Isn't that something? It caused even the pagan sailors to pray. Those guys who curse as if it was nothing wrong with them, it caused them to pray. Jonah, a Hebrew prophet, has lost his identity because of his decision to go astray. When you willfully disobey God's directives, your Christianity is compromised. For example, we read in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, as well as Hebrews 10, 30. Those two texts are basically the same text, was carbon copy from the old to the new. We have Hebrews chapter 32, verse 35, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32, 35, and Hebrews 10, 30, which says, basically, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. In other words, when someone does you wrong, let God handle them. But in our humanity, we want to get them back. Someone embarrassed you at work or wherever it was, you want to get them back because you feel slighted. But God says, let me handle it. But in our own pride, we say, no, I want to get them back. So what we're actually doing is we're telling God, I'm going to take your role in my life. Commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So if God says, vengeance is mine, let me handle it, and you tell God, no, I will handle it, you're telling God, I'm the God of my life. I make the rules. Step aside. Lord, have mercy. And of course, as we saw earlier in my appetizers, in Matthew 6, 33, that famous verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to go with you a little deeper with what that really means. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Some of us think that means when, when our eyes open up in the morning, we pray to God, say, thank you, Lord, for the breath of life. As we go to work, as we go to school, as we go wherever, I thank you, Lord, for a better life. Yes, that's true, but that's the surface level. As I tell my students, we have two types of swimmers. Snorkelers and scuba divers. My job is to make you become a scuba diver. I don't want you to read the Bible and just be a snorkeler, just see the surface meaning. I want you to get that tank and go in the depth and find the treasures and what the Word is saying. Become a scuba diver of God's Word. So now when it says here, seek ye further the kingdom of God, it's not just saying when you wake up in the morning, I thank you, Lord, for the breath of life. That is true. By saying, in your actual life, as you live your life, seek God first. What does that mean? When it's time to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, guess what? Seek God first. When it's time to find a new job, guess what? Seek God first. When it's time to purchase food to be in your kitchen, seek God first. Why is that? Because there's some food God says we shouldn't buy. How do I know that? Leviticus 11. There's a 
good list and a bad list. God said, eat from the good list. Or we say, the bad list tastes good. You're telling God, I'm God of my life. And that's a problem with him because that's why I said in my motto, Jesus Christ isn't coming to save those who he loves, but those who love him. Because stop and think for a, for a moment, Parkwood. If Christ were to come back and save the people who he loves, who would that be? Everybody. Everyone from Adam and Eve to whatever day he comes back. That's all humanity ever. But that's not the case. That's sad to say, it's not the case, because if that, if that were the case, there would be no hellfire. So he come back to save those who love him. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love your enemies. That's a hard one. Love your enemies. When I was working at Camp Kalakwa over there in Florida, my boss told me one day, we're having staff worship, and I'll never forget this one day. He said, there's a difference between love and like. God called us to love everyone, not to like everyone. I said, break that down, break it down for me. I'm still confused with that. Break it down. He said, yes, God called us to love everyone, not to like everyone. The difference is this. The people who you love, regardless if they love you back, you're there for them. People who you like, they come into your circle. Here's an example. I have some friends who are not uh, Christian. They may smoke and they may drink. I can't have them into my house where my kids are while I'm trying to have my kids learn that to uh, live the life that God wants you to live. I love those guys. If they call me and say, Marlon, I'm in trouble, help me out, I'll go help them out. But I'm not going to put them in my circle. I won't be with them hanging around because that's not the lifestyle I have for my family or for myself. You have to love everyone. But in some people, you have to love from a distance. They may have an illness that they cannot get over. If you know someone is a kleptomaniac, you love them, but you won't leave them in your house because when you come back, your stuff is gone. <laughs> love your enemies. Pray over them. There will heap burning coals of fire on their head and they will be bamboozled. They'll be like, what's happening? Why is she or he still caring about me? And that may be a witness for them to say, man, something's different about that person. But if you, if you return hate for hate, there's no winning there. But remember, loving may require putting up some boundaries, especially if you have small kids you're trying to raise, especially for that. So after the sailors, so that Jonah was sleeping in this boat while they had a big storm. They said, hey, wake up. What's up with you? Who are you? I'm a Hebrew prophet. What? As a matter of fact, 
I'm the reason why this storm is happening. And so they asked him, what can we do? He said, throw me overboard. Jonah would rather drown than fulfill his divine commission. He'd rather die than do what God says. Do you see some Jonah in you? You're so stubborn. You won't do what God said. You'd rather die. Maybe not physically. You'd rather have this part of your life die than do what God said. Throw me overboard. This comes up to our second point. Our first point, don't lose your identity in Christ. Point number two, sin makes you stupid. You would think that once Jonah saw that severe storm, he would repent to God and tell the sailors that he was commissioned to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel, but no, he tells them that if he was thrown overboard, the storm would cease. Sin makes you stupid. There was a show on TV called America's Dumbest Criminals. And there was an episode where there was this young man who went to this convenience store, kind of like a 7-Eleven kind of store, and he went with his gun and said to the cashier, give me all the money now. The cashier said, all right, all right, give me a moment. She gets a bag, whatever, and she's punching those codes to open the register, and then she puts the money in the bag. But this criminal did not even look at his surroundings before he walked into that store because across the street from that store was a police station. <laughs> so as he's holding up this cashier, the cops see him. They just get up and walk across the street Put your hands up, you're under arrest. Sin makes you stupid. It clouds your judgment. In that same episode, there was another man who went to this, to this uh, jeweler store and said, give me all the money and the jewelry now. And then she's like, okay, okay. So she gets the bag the same way. She puts the necklace and the earrings and everything else there and the money. But he sees that she pressed, there's a button under the, uh, the, the, the desk there that's like a panic button. He saw she pushed it. He said, girl, give me that money now. And so she, see, she finally put it all in the bag. He grabs the bag and he turns to exit the store. And as he's leaving the store, there's a big sign that says, pull to exit. But in his haste, to leave, because you know the cop was summoned, what did he do? He pushed. He pushed. Girl, open his door. He pushed. He pushed. He pushed so many times, he got so tired, he sat down in defeat. And within four minutes, the cop showed up. You are under arrest. Sin makes you stupid. Why? Because you're going away from what God said to do. I remember when I was teaching in Miami, I asked my students, Make an, make, an, make an acronym for, 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 for the word sin. It's spelled S-I-N. Make an acronym. And one of them came to me and said, okay, here's one. Separated in nature. I said, whew, I'm going to use that forever, forever, ever. So 
Once Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, we have now been separated in nature from how God made us. And we've been climbing back ever since. Of course, Christ came, lived on earth, died for us, resurrected, and we're trying to restore us, but we're still trying to get to that place. We, we, we may laugh about these two examples, but in our lives, think back. Has sin made you stupid? Have you done some stuff? You said, man, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Think how Lucifer or the devil felt when he looked at Eve, eat that fruit. She was a sinless woman. And she let this talking serpent trick her. He became a ventriloquist. And the white talks about the snake was the most beautiful animal besides uh, humans that God made. And when you read in the Bible, God, when he punished the snake, he said, from this day forward, you will travel on your belly. What does that mean then? That means prior to that punishment, the snake was not traveling on his belly. Because you can't say, from this day forward, travel on your belly. That means you weren't traveling. That means you either had legs or you had wings. Don't let that text slip you by. When God cursed the snake, he said, from this day forward, you will travel in the belly and be among the dust. That means prior to that uh, curse, the snake wasn't on the dust. It was attractive. The devil will do whatever he can to mess us up. We got to be careful. But if we understand that we don't have power in ourselves to fight against the devil, then we are in good shape because we say, Lord, go before me. I stand behind you. I stand behind you. After the sailors tried to row the boat to shore, because when he said, throw me overboard, they didn't want to because they knew that he was going to drown. So how, how else can we fix this situation? So after the sailors tried to row the boat to shore and realized that they were overpowered by the storm, they begged God to forgive them for what they were about to do as they reluctantly threw Jonah overboard. So I can imagine they're trying to throw cargo off and the wind is still going crazy. It's boisterous. The water's coming, in, in, uh, coming into the boat. Oh my goodness. So they say, you know what? Let's do it. So then, so then, you know, they're, they're holding Jonah. Now, I remember in the 90s, maybe 92-ish, somewhere around there, there was a movie that came out a popular movie. It was called uh, Free Willy, all right? Free Willy. Basically, it was a story of a boy who loved this killer whale at the aquarium. They can't have that friendship, all right? But anyway, that comes to my mind when I think about the story because, because uh, the Bible says, I believe in uh, maybe First uh, Thessalonians, wherever it is, there's nothing new under the sun, all right? Keep that in your mind. There's nothing new under the sun. So now, 
They're holding Jonah. And in my, in my mind's eye, they're saying, one, two, three, don't throw him into water. And so God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all them is, made every creature, he's seeing them holding Jonah. And he says, Willie. You know who Willie is? That's that, that big whale, right, in the movie. Willie, get ready. He, he's going around, hmm, hmm. And so then they're saying, one, two, and then, dum, ba dum, ba dum, 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 ba dum, ba dum, 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 full speed, dum, ba dum, 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 three. And Jonah thinking, I'm about to die. I don't have to preach anymore. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die right now. But God says, I have another plan. And here comes free Willie. Here comes Willie. Boom, da -ba -da -da. And the Bible says this great fish, we call it a whale, great fish opened up its mouth and swallowed him. And the reason why I say there's nothing new under the sun, this was the first time in human history that we had a submarine. Because here we have Jonah inside that boat or that fish going down. Also the first time ever in human history we had what we call GPS system. Because God said to the whale, to the, to the whale go to Tarshish. And he put the calculation in, in that whale, head 200 miles to the east, go, and the whale was going, and, and, and if you went the wrong way, recalculating, recalculating, go back to the right direction. Our last point is this. You may give up on God, but he will never give up on you. And here's what I'm going to bring to you right now. When I was a boy, of course, back in the 90s again, 80s, probably 80s really, there was a show, a cartoon called Super Friends, where all the major superheroes were together to fight the bad guys. Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, they were all on the same team fighting the bad guys. But there was an, another character, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you right now, that was on that same team. His name was Aquaman. And he was the, the leader of the waters. He was able to talk to any animal, able to take care of all the waters. Nothing new under the sun. Jesus was that first Aquaman, superhero. And he said, I'm not going to let you die in this water. And then he told the waters, cease your boisterous waves. The same way he told the waters to cease when he was sleeping on that boat, he said, peace be still. And if you look at that Greek, it wasn't he was saying in a nice way. Hush, what he was saying. And the sea and the winds obeyed him. And now in this situation, the same sea, the same waves, 
You have Willie in there, the, the submarine, the GPS, Aquaman's in charge. He says, hey, waters calm yourselves down. Those pagan sailors were happy too because now it was the calm waters. They can go to where they want to go to. Calm waters. Jesus says, hey, if you allow me to calm the storms in your life, you will see how valuable I am in your life. The problem is we want to be the Aquaman. We want to be Wonder Woman. We want to be Batman. And God's like, no, I'm the one with the superpowers. Respect that. I want to give you smooth sailings. I want to fix your rocky marriage. I can touch your cells in your body and cure you, but let me be me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, stop heading to Tarshish. That's not where I sent you. I sent you to Nineveh. Stop heading to Tarshish. Stop doing your own will. Let me be your God. I want to close with this. As the music plays, think about this song. Think about these words. Track three. There are ways two primary ways that Jesus enters our lives. By addition or by submission. Stop and think for a moment. Are you just adding Christ to your life to say, I'm a Christian? Or are you submitting to Christ to say, Lord, you're my God? How is Christ in your life? By addition or submission. Because if it's by addition, you're still in charge. You're calling the shots. You added Christ to the plate. I'm a Christian. He's on my plate. But have you submitted to him? Is he the one that's the captain of your ship? the conductor of your train, the pilot of your plane? Is he the driver of your car? Or is he a passenger? At the music plays, think about, think about this. When I was a boy, my mom had this license plate in the front of the car where it said, God is my co-pilot. I thought that was nice until one day I had a scuba diver epiphany. I was probably nine years old. I said, wait a minute. Mom, if God is your co-pilot, who's the pilot? Are you flying the plane? And she said, Oh, my son, you're so right. She took that thing off her car. God must be the pilot. 
We take orders from him. But the only way that happens is when you say, I'm not in control. And that's hard because that means pride must die. Is it ever hard to say I'm sorry to your husband or wife or to your sister or brother or to someone in your life or your, your, your son or your daughter? Because saying I'm sorry means you're at fault. Your pride has to die. Those two words, I'm sorry, means I was wrong. And so it's almost hard to say it. You have to go on for years and years and not say it. And there's this schism between the two family members or the two friends. Because you can't say these two words. When we let Christ be first, we're saying, we're not the pilot. I take orders from you. This came to my mind right now, about to end. When it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, how about this perspective? And I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes when I say this, but if I am, you came to the right place this morning to hear this word. <laughs> when you get your paycheck, whether it's from direct deposit or a physical check in your hand, do you seek God first or do you seek to pay your mortgage first? Do you seek God first or to pay your car note first? Who gets the first cut? Tie the offerings or the mortgage? Tie the offerings or the tuition for your kids to go to school? Tie the offerings or that new suit, that new dress? What's top in your brain? Who's first on the list? Think about that for a moment. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. As you play this song, think about your life. Think about if you're heading in, in the wrong way. Think about your plane going the wrong way. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In my prayer, it's introspection right now. Preserve Lord, am I headed to Tarshish? From fear, or are you directing me? Hide me. It's appeal time, church. From the secret council of the world. Are you the pilot or the co-pilot? From the insurrection. Are you Batman of or Robin? Choose today, church, where God stands in your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're praying in your heart. If God has been Robin, or the co-pilot, confess to him in your heart today. Lord, you're first. You're Batman. You're the pilot. 
we take orders from you. If you've been playing around with how you treat the money that God gives you, he gives you breath, he gives you sanity, gives you power to make that money. When it comes to your possession, what happens? In what order? When someone gets on your nerve at work or at school or wherever it may be, do you let God handle it? Or do you say, I will get him back. I will get her back. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're praying in our hearts. Stop headed towards Tarshish. help us today we all have a piece of Jonah in us in some way shape or form help us Lord to go where you have directed us Jesus isn't returning for those who he loves, but he returns for those who love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Love your enemies and put me first. Let us pray together. Oh Lord God Almighty, we pause as we end today's worship service to say, Lord, if we had you as our co-pilot, we are sorry. And from this day forward, you are to be the pilot. We've been heading towards Tarshish, but now, Lord, we want to go to where you've called us to go in the right direction. I pray for all those under the sound of my voice I pray for this church as a whole. Bless Parkwood SCA in ways unthinkable. May these pews be filled and may your word be spread to this area and abroad. Bless Pastor John Talley, his wife. Bless all the elders, all the members here, the visitors, guests. May we all be saved in your kingdom, we do ask. But we must make sure you're first. This is our prayer. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we all set together, amen.